Hello, and welcome to the Altwire podcast, where we share candid interviews with some of the best names in the entertainment industry. I'm Derek Oswald, and today we'll be talking about the upcoming record, Lessons Learned, with our special guest, Robert DeLeo. Most of you will be familiar with Robert from his work as the bassist and principal songwriter for Stone Temple Pilots. Robert is here to promote his first solo record, Lessons Learned, and we're thrilled to have him on the show. Let's get started. We have Robert DeLeo on the phone with us today. Thanks for joining us, Robert. How are you doing? It's going as good as it can go. I love doing this on iPhone. I, I, I don't have to be on camera and uh, get out of my pajamas. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Little known secret that people who will be listening won't know is that I'm actually in my pajamas as well. So I didn't even get into any special attire for this. So hope you're not offended. Oh, man, we got a jammy party in the making. now this is a really interesting record for you considering that this is the first time that you've gotten to explore your full range by recording virtually all the instrumentation yourself can you talk about what it was like writing this album as compared to some of your previous work well i think all the writing comes from you know whether it's you know, whatever atmosphere or thing you're trying to create, it's always from a personal experience and more so on the more gentle side of things. There's a certain, uh, you know, thing of sitting down and, and really getting in touch with the instruments that you have. You know, it's funny because I just posted something on Instagram about, you know, sitting down with some good friends of mine, which were all my instruments, mostly vintage that I really adore. And, um, they really have been like great friends because each time you pick up one of these instruments, it leads you in a certain direction of where your feeling was, your feelings were intended to go. And that's what I love about, uh, old instruments with some, some age they have, they have a certain quality that inspire me to do that. And that's kind of where it started. You know, it was uh, the world um, has changed and the world allowed a lot of time to to all of us. And I took advantage of that time and kind of got reacquainted with my good friends, so to speak. You had a lot of those good friends in a promo photo that you did for this record. Given that you've amassed such a huge collection over your career, what would you consider to be the most prized of your collection in regards to your vintage instruments? You know, as a bass player, I always dreamt of there's certain instruments that you grow up watching your idols play. And, uh, you know, James Jamerson of Motown, you know, has always been my top of the list bass player. And uh, wiring, uh, it's actually in the picture, it's the top row on the left. It's a 1959 Fender P bass. And I've always, uh, you know, wanted one of those in my collection. That is a beautiful one. As far as guitars go, I mean, there's certain instruments that you, electrically speaking, you know, I have a, a 1963 Gretsch Country Gentleman, which is the same as George Harrison's. And, you know, how could you not like George Harrison on a 63 Country Gentleman? But also the, the person that guitar is named after is one of my favorite guitar players is Chet Atkins. Um, Chet is, uh, you know, I grew up listening to him, been a huge influence on me. 
and really got me uh, motivated on my finger picking. <laughs> you know, music is amazing because it goes down into different people. And, you know, I think the way that I got exposed to Chet Atkins was through Steve Howe of Yes. And I, I've always admired Steve Howe. He's one of my favorite guitar players. And Steve always was a master of picking up any kind of stringed instrument and just, you know, just doing something really special with it. And, uh, you know, those are the kind of people that I really admire as artists that can have these things. And there's another thing in the bottom right of that picture of me. It's called a Marxophone. And uh, it's kind of a combination of a, an auto harp and a hammered dulcimer. Um, it was used on uh, Doors tracks and some Love and Spoonful tracks. And it was, I think it was sold door to door in the teens of the 20s. And I found this one with all the original uh, music books in it from that age and era. And, you know, I'm just always fascinated with different instruments, strings especially. With the marxophone, as you said, that's a very hard to get instrument. It's it's a little more rare than your common instrument that you get used at a guitar store, for instance. Are there any yes. instruments that are still out of your reach that you're hoping you can find one day? Maybe some super rare instrument that you've been searching for your entire career. You know, I love Middle Eastern instruments too, and there's a an instrument called a sarad that I really love. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't own a sitar and, you know, I've always been fascinated by, by instruments from the Middle East, just beautiful instruments. There's a lot of Celtic instruments that I love too. I think I need to pay more attention in my travels to, uh, acquire these <laughs> instruments, but I have such a love for different instruments. And it, it's, it's interesting because when you get on different instru instruments, like I said, they guide you in a certain direction. And uh, it's like that with guitars too, you know, growing up and having posters on my wall and seeing Jimmy Page with a Les Paul and knowing what a Les Paul does and, you know, seeing somebody with a Telecaster and you know what a Fender Telecaster does and, yeah. you know, all these voicings and great inventions, so to speak, that, uh, you know, became a part of our lives. It's amazing. As a fellow bassist, what drew you to the Schechter Model T basis? What makes them stand out to you? You know, I, I worked for Schechter. I was uh, working for Mesa Boogie at the time. And um, this was probably 1990, uh, right before we got signed. And uh, I got booted. I got canned, sacked from that store. And uh, I needed a job. And I, I went down the street. And a good friend of mine was kind enough to hire me at Schechter. Nice. And he runs Schechter now, by the way, Mike Cervolo. And uh, uh, we worked together there. Schechter built my first base for me when we got signed that I used on core and toured with for, for quite a while. I still have that base. They made me what I wanted and they were very, very kind to me and um, made some great bases for me that I used throughout most of my touring through the 90s, well, all of my touring through the 90s and early 2000s. In your announcement for this record, you spoke on how your life has revealed many changes. What stories were some of the most important ones for you to tell on this upcoming album? Well, I think the main focus and the main thing here I had to come up with for the whole, you know, journey was universal feelings that we all feel. Love, heartbreak, 
love gained, love lost. And uh, there's really nothing new I'm writing here. I guess it's just my version, my interpretation of that. And, uh, you know, um, I think it was a, a matter of kind of coming up with a title for the record. And uh, at the end of the journey, I thought, you know, these are all lessons learned. That's pretty much puts a bow on the whole experience and journey that I've gone through. <laughs> In line with the title of the album, over the course of your career and lifetime, what have been some of the most challenging experiences or hardest lessons for you to learn? You know, there's been, there's been many. I moved out here from the East Coast when I was 18, and I, I lived, lived in my car, and um, I uh, came out here with $1,200 to California. And I don't know if I really came out to make it. I think I fooled my mom into telling her I was going to go to art school just to, I, you know, Looked like I was going to do something, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I moved out here and got a $250 bass. I got a Music Man Stingray, a 78 Music Man Stingray back when they were $250. Wow. <laughs> and uh, I bought a $650 1976 Volkswagen Rabbit and um, the, the car died and the bass got stolen eventually. So I definitely learned not to uh, put instruments in the trunk of your car when you're going to see a gig because it will get stolen. I also learned from that to not get a 1976 Volkswagen Rabbit because <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I think I had to drive every five miles. I had to get out and fill up the radiator because I just I didn't have enough money to fix it. So I ran that thing into the ground. Then I started working at Mesa Boogie up in the valley, in, a, in, a, in not a very nice area of the valley. And um, my owner at the time, it was right around Christmas time, and he was unloading the register without the door locked right before we were closing. And two guys came in and held us up, and I had a, I had a 38 uh, in my gut, and I had my hands tied with whirlwind cable. And I, there was a big lesson there learned. It was called uh, lock the door before you open the, the register and start counting money. <laughs> so um, all that led into being in a band and getting signed to Atlantic Records. And, uh, you know, things took off very quickly. And uh, one of the biggest things I learned came from a gentleman by the name of Tom Carolyn, who was our a&R guy at the time. And he said, uh, fasten your seatbelt. And, uh, that was a big lesson I learned from Tom Carolyn is I did fasten my seatbelt and it was quite a ride through that. Um, you know, um, uh, relationships and like I said, more universal, uh, things happening in life that everyone experiences. And, um, you know, still trying to, uh, figure out uh, what life and love really is. You know, I think that's really what this album is about is just taking a look at what life and love is, really is and questioning it, you know? Yeah, it's been quite a journey, Derek. <laughs> hey, 
I think I can speak for pretty much every fan of your music out there that I'm happy that you made it out of that holdup. Uh, you know, the world might have been <laughs> might have been robbed of a quite talented musician if that had gone a little bit differently. So, <laughs> oh man, yeah, I remember. I remember getting a 38 in my stomach and saying, "We're going to have a party." I remember, <laughs> that's what I remember coming from his mouth and uh, tied us up in the back with whirlwind cable, guitar cables. You know what's funny? They got $140. For all that trouble, $140. They got $140, but there was a 1956 Fender Strat in the window that was probably at the time worth about five grand. (laughs) But Uh, they didn't take that. Makes no sense, right? Right. (laughs) Yeah. Just to kind of wrap things up a little bit, you've been talking about universal languages and universal things that everyone goes through. I consider music to be one of those spiritual universal languages that everybody can identify with. Uh, For artists, it's like imprinting your own spiritual energy onto a recording forever. How often have you considered the musical legacy that you're leaving behind? You know, I respect it, but I want to move forward. I think music is eternal. And as long as you're, uh, you know, we're all, we're all uh, mortal, but music, music is a way of making yourself immortal and it'll live on and on. And, uh, the music that I listened to from the 1920s, 1930s, I mean, the forties, fifties, sixties, seventies, this is all music that not only is immortal, but really becomes a part of your DNA. And it's something that I feel in music every day i feel that and i think being a musician and having a certain way to channel life into music is is uh it's a gift man it's a gift and i never take it for granted it's my friend it's my therapist it's my love sometimes it's a gift to be able to do that i want to keep moving forward and like i said to answer your question i do respect the past immensely. I couldn't have said it better myself. I just want to, you know, thank you for always being so insightful. We actually first spoke a couple years ago back when Jeff first joined the band. And back then and even now, you always give the best thought out answer. So I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Hopefully nobody forces you to go on camera within the next couple of interviews. That way you can, you know, enjoy... (laughs) Your, co- your coffee and stay in your pajamas if possible. So yeah, they're, they're going to be like, whoa, hey, is Robert there? Where's he at? Who's this? <laughs> Who is this? Oh, well. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. And I really do hope you have a great rest of your day. Oh, Derek, thank you so much, man. That's so kind of you, man. Thank you. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this episode. Thanks to Robert DeLeo for joining us to talk about his upcoming new record. And thank you for listening to the AltWire podcast. If you enjoy our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and be sure to come back for more episodes. Until then, this is Derek Oswald, and thanks for listening to the AltWire podcast.